You're listening to 50% Facts, the show where we're building a health and fitness resource by trying to answer a single question every week, just based on what we already know. Or maybe what we think we know. Then we bring in the world's leading expert to tell us what we got right and what we got wrong. I'm Jim McDonald. And I'm Mike Farr. Welcome to our show. Happy New Year. 2020. 2020. It is kind of wild when I was thinking about it because I think my... Grandpa, on my dad's side, was born in like 1908, mm-hmm. and I met him. He, he passed away when I was pretty young, but you think about like 100 years, and especially these 100 years. Yeah. Like, holy shit. So much has changed. Like, yeah. I, can't even, I can't even compare to what they're every day. I'm sorry for the rock star. <laughs> Stayed up too late. <laughs> Smoked a pack. <laughs> Took some Hennessy to the face voice. I was sick for, normally I get sick and I just go straight child mode and I end up in bed and I'll just sleep until it's better. Mm-hmm. And I did that. I did two days of death sleep, a little fever, nothing crazy. And so the fever's gone, a little bit of congestion, but then I woke up today and my voice is jacked up, but I feel pretty good. So we're here, but I can't imagine what life is in 1909 or let's go 1920, I guess. Compare everyday life to 1920 and 2020. No way the drastic change in those 100 years is even comparable to any other 100 years. Yeah. Like the insane amounts. Like we went from no TV to virtual reality. Yeah. Rather than like. And and phones that like. Yeah, computer chips in our hand that can do anything. Yeah. Uh, And it, this is weird, but, but it's a. But it's a thing. It's a, a definite advancement. Uh, there is this new system for people with sleep apnea, where they implant a device, and there's like an there's like a wire that goes in the back of your throat, and you have like a battery in your chest. And what it does is that it shocks your tongue, so your tongue pulls away from your airway. It does it, and it won't wake you up. Apparently, once you get used to it, no. A tongue shock, Jesus. Yeah, uh, it isn't like a, it isn't a startle by the time you're done. It's just a like almost unnoticeable. It's an incredibly expensive surgery. Yeah. It's like I don't know. I saw a hundred thousand dollars, but that's may may not be correct still. But there's some insurance, I guess, maybe that's covering it. Like a lifetime of CPAP stuff, you know? Yeah, true. Hey, I wonder because some of it is just like big tongue issues, yeah. But otherwise, sometimes it's losing weight, right? Her working some of on it is position. Losing, yeah, uh, some of it's. Yeah, some of it's losing weight. Some of it is some of it you can overcome a little bit with with sleep position. Some of it, um, you know, there are dental appliances for it. Yeah, there's surgery, but the success rate on surgery. I don't know if it's gotten any better, but the last I heard was about fifty percent. Yeah, it's not that good. No, not no. that good. People were talking. Uh, I forgot who I was listening to. They were talking about those companies that were putting chips in employees. Arms. And oh, like, yeah. Uh, and I was talking, to, I had a little family dinner last night with two of my best friends from like third grade, and their mom and my mom. And uh, we're talking about some of that stuff and um, cell phones and when they're listening, when they're not listening. Uh, and I think at 2020, and this is at least maybe just me, I, th- I say, fuck it, I'm all in. Like they already know <laughs> so much about me. 
Yeah. It's just going to cause me years on my life if I'm going to stress about who's listening to the bullshit I'm doing on my phone or who's following me or put a chip in my arm. What do I give a fuck? Like, what are you going to do? Like, worst case, you make me explode. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to die. Yeah. Like, the the chip seems cool. Like, to open a door with your chip. I might, I'd never have to worry about my keys. Imagine if I uh, get in my car, mm-hmm. which I already do. I have a push start car, like, but it's just in my wrist or, or my house. Like, you just have to have that chip in your, and then you just reprogram it. Yeah. Little stuff like that. Lights, what do lights turn on when I go in the room with just that? Yeah, my um my phone I actually had to, I had to break down to get a new phone. I got an, a uh, new new one? Yeah, I got an iPhone eleven. I didn't get the the pro because I don't I don't need like I don't yeah. know what I don't know what I would I don't need a third camera. Yeah. It it does look better for sure, but this is better than the one I had, and the shocking thing is that it stays charged all day. Yeah, that's the the most exciting thing I get about a new phone. Like the camera difference, you can sometimes tell. Yeah. But it's more just like having it not die in three hours. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was having to recharge my phone like three times a yeah, day. That's most so Which is insane. So I just traded that sucker in and got this one, um, which I'm pretty happy with so far. The Face ID works so much faster than I thought it was going to. Yeah, my Face ID is pretty good, and I have last year's model. Yeah, it's, it's like, pretty good. Boom. Uh, it takes a little bit of getting used to, you know, but. Um, yeah, because there's no buttons. And did yours have a button? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've never. This is my first <clears throat> iPhone, so I'm used to kind of no buttons. No buttons. Yeah. No, I had a I had a button, but the the thing that uh, um, I, think I was going to say is that my thermostat. I have a Nest thermostat. Yeah, yeah. It if I let it, it'll use my location to yeah, like, yeah, yeah. know when I'm close to home, yeah. and it'll turn the heat on to whatever it's supposed to be. Yeah. Or the air conditioner or whatever. That's that's I was a crazy. conspiracy guy, and he was anti-Nest. He was anti-Nest. And what's the other one, Ring or something? The Ring doorbells. There's yeah. a lot of controversy yeah. about those, like yep. the, uh, Amazon's ability to tap into your stuff. It's yeah, like, but so what? What are they going to do? That's what I'm starting to get at. I understand privacy. I understand. Most of us aren't that interesting is the thing. Identity, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not a murderer. They can no. look at me in my kitchen. I don't give a shit. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's not in your bedroom, right? Yeah, and even if it is, whatever. I don't know who's watching, but I don't know him. And you start showing up on on porn. As long as I get the yes CPM check, I don't care. The thing is, is uh, this is going to sound extreme, and I don't actually believe this, but I'm, I don't think I'm that against like a Minority Report put cameras all over us world, uh-huh. and just fucking crime is going to go down. If yeah. there was hypothetically everyone knew there's a camera on you 24 uh, seven, that's London, man. Yeah, or 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 like New York or Vegas, they say right because there's so many lights and so many like. Um, uh, there was some dumb show, I think it was super came out that was super fake, but someone would f- fake run from the cops and do the best they could. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, so the concept's great, right? So yeah. like supposedly you're you know the worst criminal. So, and you so like it's an escape room, but like out in the uh, IRL. The yeah. yeah, yeah. So the idea I think was great, but it turned out fake. So, but and then they had like an ex like top CIA guy or something. And so these guys had the capabilities, and they're tapping into cameras on ATMs to see when your car drove by and like Jeez. shit like that. And then like yeah, whoever lasted the longest one or whatever so people are you know and some of the people are smart too like i don't think of those things I'm not, i don't have a criminal mind but some of these people are like i'm not going to use an atm they're going to know i was here and i'm not going to use this and i'm going to ask my buddy for his atm mm-hmm. i'm going to trade it and like all these kind of sketchy things i'm like i don't know why your humans brains work this way you criminal but um yeah if there's just cameras everywhere i don't know if i'm against it um i don't know if i'm for it but it's not it's not a new movie by any stretch anymore but enemy of the state will make you paranoid yeah really good stuff. movie yeah, that's yeah, that that kind of exact same concept. That was a good movie though. 
Yeah. And if you like that movie, you should definitely check out a movie called The Conversation, which was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Also stars Gene Hackman in a very similar case. Is uh, Will Smith in Enemy of the State? Will Smith is in Enemy yeah. of the State. Yeah. <clears throat> and Will Smith had my favorite blender ever in Enemy of the State. I don't remember that. I just remember he's like <laughs> shopping for panties in the beginning, right? Or something like that. Yeah, he's a Victoria's Secret. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. His, for his fiance or something. Um, Wife. Wife. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't know if I'm against all that. I don't know if I'm for it again either. But I think Europe has, yeah, like you said, like cameras everywhere and their crimes obviously way down and that might solve some of our issues. And obviously we have a bunch of other issues, but who knows. But yeah, throw a chip in my wrist if it makes my life a little more convenient. I mean, that's basically what this phone is, right? I mean, we're doing- it's same thing with I got Apple Watch. Yeah, same it's the exact kind of, same thing. Same kind of deal. Yeah, um, and we're doing, what, 70% of our shit on this thing from email conversations to- Probably, all, yeah. For our work, social media, yeah. to banking if I want to throw money everywhere, mm-hmm. to paying bills. Like you're doing everything on here anyways. Um. Yeah. You know, I I like that. I like the simplicity. Costco just changed so that your membership card is on the on their app now. Yeah. Makes, so you can just make like, sense. show it, yeah. and then like net, they have Apple Pay now. Yeah. So why are even that. credit cards still a thing? That's a good question. Well, they're they're so especially if some places are. How many years have we been? Have we had chip and and um chip and sign? Yeah. In in America, like at least three, yeah. and there are some places that still haven't converted over to the new technology. Then they're still swiping. But then opposite though, your uh, Canada has tap, which is way faster. Yeah, we have some tap here. Yeah, but, but not that much. Not much. I or phone tap was that Apple Pay? Yeah, Apple Pay. Some of that I don't know why. Like I, I sound like a psychopath, and you guys are thinking I'm crazy. Like I don't care if you watch me twenty four seven. Then again, I'm kind of kidding. But there are some things that freak me out. Like I don't like to attach like everything together. Yeah. Like I don't like my when my phone's attached to my computer, I'll just like email a picture or airdrop and I don't like like my text being everywhere or like my bank account being everywhere. Mm. Like I don't have I didn't set up Apple Pay. I don't even know how to use it. I'm a little I, bit of like a boom, I totally boomer. have Apple Pay. I think it's more secure because well, I know it's more secure because they don't get your real number. There's a it's just a temporary number. It's the same thing as using a chip. Except that you don't Not have sure. to physically have the card there. I can go to my Wells Fargo ATM with Apple Pay. And yeah. as long as I have the pin, I can get into my account. Yeah, I don't see why that's not the norm. What are credit cards doing? And cash should literally just not be a thing. Yeah, I mean, but that's, we get into uh, haves and have-nots there. Like, you know, yeah. if you don't have the money for the technology, then you don't have. Then I guess you got 20 bucks for yeah. a dream. Yeah, that's the thing. But like Canada got rid of pennies and we probably should too. Yeah, something. It doesn't make any sense. Really at all. Um, on a different note, I want to thank uh, folks at Authentic Street Signs for our 50% facts street sign. It's awesome. You should check them out. Uh, this is not a paid um, advertisement, but they did uh, do us a solid and give us a 50% facts uh, street sign to go along with our uh, do the work street sign that they gave us uh, a few months ago. And they also did one for uh, Alan Thrall's gym. It says Untamed Way. Untamed Strength. Have you been there recently? You I have not. Some of it? I, I've not been since uh, since he expanded. Yeah. yeah, it looks good. It looks good. Shout out to the boy Alan. Killing it. I'm always uh, inspired by dudes like him. He he reminds me of like, my best friend. Growing up, growing up, my best friends, uh, a lot of my friends tend to be, actually Connor probably, probably Connor and Bart are probably my first friends that are like kind of like me. Like all my friends have always been like, Exact opposite of me in terms mm-hmm. of like maybe style or music or mm-hmm. even shit we like. You know, like a lot of my friends don't like Star Wars and video games and shit. Like my best friend's more like Alan, where he's kind of like a 
lack of a better term, like a man's man, you know, like just yeah. fucking get shit done and kind of enjoys construction and kind of enjoys like manual labor and listens to rock or some country and sips Budweiser, that kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. I respect it because I'm not that. I'm a big old sissy. You know, it's weird for me because uh, I'm I'm a decent writer, but it's really painful me for me to write. Like the process is painful, yeah. always, always, because I second guess it so much of the time, and like it just it's very difficult for me to declare something done and and pass it over. I just did some um, some writing f- for a friend's website, and um, I, every project that I've done in my house in the last you know six months was easier for me than than writing. Yeah, yeah. And it gave me a stronger sense of accomplishment because like it stands there and it's a thing. You know, it's like yeah. it physically represented in the world as opposed to, you know, you write a bunch of text and it's an idea. It's the, yeah. you know. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's so human to human. Uh, I've thought about it recently too. Multiple reasons I don't like writing. Um, I've been like half diagnosed ADHD and all these things recently, uh, even though I've obviously known I'm fucked up my whole life. But um, And like little tasks like that just seem like hell to people with ADHD. You know, like no one likes to do taxes. Mm. No one likes to you know read and fill out a, 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 a I, I think we talked about me adopting a dog uh, filling out the the rescue mm-hmm. application like some no one loves to do those things right but if you have like some adhd like that seems like you're getting punched in the dick like that's the worst thing in the world like just dreading or, or someone that's it's like nails going across the chalkboard feeling you know you're like fuck i hate this and i have that with a lot of things and i have no learning disabilities i have no comprehension dis- like we were talking off air, I think, about SATs and stuff. Uh-huh. I was just slightly above average on everything. I'm no genius, but like my brain is fine. It's somewhere together, you know. Like I'm smart enough. No, nothing there. But same. Uh, going back to you, uh, overanalyzing your your writing or whatever. Something like that is where I'm uh, probably the most self conscious I think ever. Mm-hmm. And I don't write because I I feel highly judged by it. I think rather than other things. Like, I'm pretty confident, dude. I don't care. Like, I've done insanely stupid things on the internet. I've said probably stupid things today in the last 15 minutes, but, and I don't really care what people think about me. Uh, but for some reason, writing something, sometimes I feel like, fuck, I hope they don't think I'm dumb. I don't know why. I don't know why. And I've never been, you know, I've never been an F student or anything. There's just like little things we all have for some reason. Yeah. No, I know exactly how you feel. Then, like, I remember... <clears throat> We're going to get off of this in a second because we've been on this for a while. Um, but I remember back, like, I think it was in the fifth grade, and they pushed me forward to sixth grade math for whatever reason. And I'd never been that good at math, and I have no idea why they did that. I feel like it was more common back in the day, moving kids up and down. Yeah, so just math. So I was going to, like, a, a different class for math, and I, I I just didn't get it at all. And I had, like, math trauma. Like, I'm I'm still yeah. I'm still scared of math. Yeah. I, and I, I've never been able to do math in my head. So, anyway. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm pretty sure that our guest can do math in his head, but I really don't know that for sure. Yeah, we'll ask him to start, because that's the rumor. Uh, is Greg is obviously very smart. Greg Knuckles, for those that don't know, um, does a lot of work in the fitness community. Very, very strong boy himself. But um, I want to say he was on the engineering path, or we can ask him, obviously. Uh, really high scoring tests and everything, um, but just loves fitness and loves kind of the science and analysis of it all. And so I think that's kind of the road he took. Um, so he's really big into... Um, taking the science that's been done, the experiments that have been done, and uh, breaking it down um, for digestion and seeing what people uh, can and cannot get from different studies. Um, 
So we're going to have him on for a couple episodes here, and I'm really excited. I've actually never met Greg, although our circles run very, very, very tight. Uh, I don't think I've ever even spoken to him, but uh, I've read a bunch of his stuff, obviously. Uh, and me and Jim were talking about we've known about him forever. Because first, before he was doing work like this, um, articles, et cetera, et cetera, uh, there's just rumor of some kid from the East Coast just crushing like 700-pound squats, I think. Uh, yeah. It was a big thing in the USAPL, and we're like, oh, shit, who the hell is this? Um, as raw lifting was getting cool, but um, strong dude, smart dude. Uh, so excited to have him on for a couple episodes here. Well, this time of year, everybody is like suddenly attuned to their fitness and and, yeah. and their their body weight and uh, all of the articles that bombard us. And at, at the beginning of every year, all the resolutioners trying to figure out what their plan is. Yeah, like, major, major publications go nuts, I feel like. Yeah, online and, and I, otherwise. Yeah, I'm not that guy to be like, oh, Christmas is run by Hershey's or whatever mm-hmm. people get all mad about. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. But uh, New Year's, like all these things really are run by these big magazine companies, these much, big television yeah. companies, the media. It sucks because technically, I guess our job is in the media. Like you would call us media. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the rest of it's fake news, kids. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna talk to you, uh, Greg, which is basically his. I, I don't know. He might describe it differently, but I think his number one job would be um, taking articles, science experiments, studies, um, and telling the world, breaking them down um, on what's good, what's bad about mm-hmm. it. And so we want to talk about how maybe you guys can know um, what source is good, what source is bad, what you should pay attention to when reading a study in an article. And honestly, I don't really know. I personally went through all this myself, obviously, getting really into fitness, lifting weights since eighth grade, but wanting to learn about lifting weights since like 18 years old. And there wasn't a lot of articles out there. Um, there's probably like two or three websites I went to, tnationbodybuilding.com, and then like Men's Health or something. Like there was nothing. Um, and I just had to like find common ground with read a hundred articles over six months and the more that agreed with each other i just assumed we're right and the one that was way off i assumed was wrong and i don't know and it's probably just the opposite but potentially (laughs) especially at that time yeah you know where guys are just telling you to do 20 sets you know smaller muscle parts just do sets of 20 like just get a pump and there was a bunch of false shit that i read into and obviously even then if we're going to keep bashing media today all of them had a back backdoor cause to to market their new supplement or to market their new you know forum or their new training program or whatever so there's obviously yep. ulterior motives there um and they got me you guys you duped me you <laughs> duped 18 year old mike you stole my money i bought so much pre-workout i didn't know what to do with myself um so i'm yeah i'm, I'm excited to see what greg said one of our favorite episodes we've already done uh, is kind of similar but we talked to eric about what a gimmick is right um, and he broke it down real easy but sometimes it's different and i'm and People are going to get mad because they're going to say like, oh, Mike, it's because you hate reading and you're an idiot. But for some reason, I think there's a bias towards um, written knowledge that everyone assumes that it's correct or assumes that it's higher than now, where anything spoken is always just thrown out the window. Um, And I know back in the day, it was probably harder to publish a book, but there's people publishing books every day now whether it's self-published via a website yeah. or or even hard copy that are not checked for facts yeah whether it be historical facts or scientific facts or moral facts mm-hmm. um so that's mike's rant of the day it's like there's a lot of trash in writing as well but if you like argue that with people like i, I get this argument uh, a lot with my mom because she's obviously into books and i'm not but 
not saying that all written is trash. There's obviously tons of knowledge you can gain from a book, but I think people automatically assume that if it's in a book or written or article that's been published on this big website, it just carries more weight. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't really understand that. I do understand that in the past, you know, probably early 1900s, it was maybe more fact checked to get a book out there. They wanted to be more correct, but like there's garbage in every book <laughs> you yeah. know it's still an opinion it's still an author there's still a bias going out and everyone's gonna argue well there's a bias to everything and there is to some extent but some people do um seek the truth as much as they can or doing the best they can with the information they have to give to you yeah when i look at stuff um that comes from studies like i i like i typically want to see the study myself if i can because usually the articles about the studies yeah they draw like bigger conclusions than the people who designed the studies but at the same time like who funded the study and how many people were involved like yeah. most of the stuff that we deal with in in fitness and nutrition whatever not very big sample sizes. Yeah, or how long the study was. Or yeah, they did a training study in two weeks. You're like, all right, that's great. And yeah, I mean, it, if it if it's a if it's a study that did you know that looked at twelve people or whatever, it's like, well, what how how well can we generalize that? And um, you know, I think sort of I think the thing I always learned was like a thousand. If you have like a thousand people in your study, then your results are. More, more reliable depending upon how you set it up. Yeah, which is hard with fitness. And we've yeah. talked about that in multiple podcasts and stuff we've done with real scientists, Jim and I. Um, that adherence is so big in fitness, yeah, um, especially nutrition. And so to analyze what everyone's doing, and there's so many external factors, your sleep, your life stressors, mm-hmm. all those play such a role in your fitness goals, whether it be um, strength or hypertrophy or fat loss or whatever. So science, obviously, we're trying to control as many variables as we can to analyze one or two variables in the study. But that's very, very difficult when the human body is forever changing and affected by so much going on. So um, you can obviously get great ideas of what's happening. And, and there's been some really good studies, especially recently. You know, we don't, the science of, of strength and conditioning or the science of um, a little bit more complex nutrition is pretty new in the scheme of things. Yeah. Um, you know, last maybe 20 years, people doing it, guys like Brad Schoenfeld, Eric Helms, et cetera, et cetera, have been more into this. But um, a lot of it also just confirms what we already know, which is cool too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then breaking in details on maybe how we can optimize things. But generally the basics are really good. But yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. And I think that people who are looking at these articles are, there's a, definitely a confirmation bias if you if you see the thing that agrees with the thing that you already believe you're going to believe that as well and it's going to reinforce your belief regardless of how it was constructed or some people set up the experiment with a little bit of bias to begin with you're like all right well yeah Yeah. you're already searching your answer that's kind of good science versus bad science yeah it's not all the same yeah i think so and it it, There's just so little that's absolutely conclusive too. That so, like you go to all the trouble to to do a study, you want to come up with some kind of conclusion that means something. Yeah. Whether it's way down in the details or not, I think for for years, I'm not going to get into who, but there's so a a person who is very well known in the industry who I think was relying a lot on the like very tiny uh, print conclusions suppositions inferences from studies and like really which then goes into like cherry picking science right you're right for your own bias and yeah a lot of people that talk about nutrition this is mike's opinion if you want to take it from here and this is like the article thing people that start to talk in training um and nutrition and they always lead with like hormones 
that's like a red flag for me. Oh, really? Yeah, just yeah. like like why are you digging into like that kind of science? Like a lot of the hormone fluctuations in our food or training are because of our they're like result of. They're not like the cause of. If that makes sense, I don't know if like I'm sick. <laughs> Bear with me, kids. Uh, so yeah, my words ain't working. Uh, so like they they come up with all these things like you shouldn't eat grapes because of the, this and that, and you should eat watermelon instead because of this and that hormone. Mm-hmm. Like you shut the fuck up. Like you're looking into the weirdest, dumbest, small fine print. Like Jim mm-hmm. said of science. Like same with training. People used to always get into hormones of like high intensity sprints versus like low intensity cardio for fat loss, and bring up all these hormones and insulin. You're like those are like. I can't think of a word. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I'm so dead. It, it, those are like going to happen regardless. They're not the effect of, of what we're aiming for mm-hmm. in training. So let's look at a little bit bigger picture here. You don't have to. The science can, can break things down and really go into detail. But in terms of like application, you don't have to. On that note, I think we should talk to Craig right after these words from our sponsor. Uh, health and fitness podcast lifestyle whatever you want to call it and we've been to some of these expos yep and one thing we all know is you guys absolutely stink (laughs) you guys smell like trash that's a thing yeah oh my god only worse than a fit expo that i've been to is a gaming expo and you guys stink worser (laughs) so we're here to fix you We, we, we we've teamed up with our homies over at native um amazing deodorant brand that's supernatural uh majority of Deodorants out there contain aluminum, uh, which can plug your sweat glands. Some people are highly allergic to it, I believe. Don't quote me, but it can really mess you up. Uh, Native's deodorant is made without aluminum, so you can feel better about putting on your body a little bit more natural and still stop you from sweating. Uh, Yep, it's safe. Native deodorant is formulated without aluminum, without parabens, which I didn't know what it was, but that's a thing. And talc, which I think we all know what it is, and suddenly... Suddenly, talc is like not a good thing. Like I, I, I used that. to think it was a it, it was a good thing, and, and now it's not. It's also vegan and never tested on animals. Uh, it's made with ingredients you've heard of, like coconut oil and shea butter. Shea butter is supposed to be really great for your skin. Uh, you wear deodorant every day. Shouldn't you be able to understand the ingredients list? That's a good question because most of the time when you pick this stuff up, you it, it's it's like um, somebody bought a vowel or or a consonant, actually a consonant on. Uh, on Wheel of Fortune, and it's just all illegible, basically. Uh, there are over 10 cents, including classics and rotating seasonals. You're guaranteed to find one you love. Their classic scents include coconut and vanilla, which is the most popular, lavender and rose, cucumber and mint, and eucalyptus and mint. There is something for everybody. There's a wide variety of options for men and women and even teens, because it could smell like teen spirit, I guess. I don't know. Um they also offer an unscented option and a baking soda-free formula for those with sensitivities. I am an unscented guy. Are you? Typically. Typically. I don't like to smell like anything. I do. Typically. I was just going to talk about it. Oh, well, talk about it. I love um, smelling good and like hygiene. Um, I hate smelling bad. And yeah. I don't think it's because like, uh, I'm embarrassed or I don't want the world to smell bad, but I like to smell good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like my hands have to smell good. Maybe just because I touch my face, I bite my nail, I, whatever it is. Like they're like I just smell me. Yeah, I smell me, and yeah. I want it to smell good. I got so I'm, I'm, yeah, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. 
There is no risk to try this. Free shipping on every order and Native offers a 30-day free return policy and exchanges in the USA. Like, say you you choose a scent that you don't like and you want to send it back and get something, something different, you can do that. Check out the over 9,000 five-star reviews from happy customers who made the switch to Native. We used to try this out. I haven't uh, actually done it yet, but um, if... You know, push comes to shove, I'm and I'm going to choose a scent. I would probably choose the eucalyptus and mint because I have like strong personal associations with the eucalyptus smell yeah. for whatever reason. I so. really like mint. The, the most popular is coconut and vanilla, and I'm not much of a coconut person in general, whether it tastes or smell, but that is the most popular. Lavender and rose sounds great, but I think I want to go also either eucalyptus and mint or cucumber and mint. And right now, we've got a special offer for you guys. If you want to get 20% off your first purchase, Visit nativedeodorant.com. Use code FACTS during your checkout. You'll get 20% off. That's nativedeodorant.com and use code FACTS. Check it out. 20% off. Stop smelling bad for for yourself because you're going to smell you for your partners, your friends, and your all co-workers. And especially since we're all getting jacked this year, 2020 year of the muscles, uh, go smell good in the gym as well. I already uh, gave you a, a mini intro, but it, you want to tell the people uh, who you are and a little bit of what you do. Um, so I'm a powerlifter and a powerlifting coach. Um, I think that's that's the pertinent information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easy. Easy going. Uh, you're super into um, articles, studies, um, research in itself. Uh, one of the, kind of your jobs or, or your, even your products uh, that you provide with people is kind of analyzing those things. Yeah. 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 And so that's what we want to dig into, especially coming around the new year. You go on Facebook, you're driving on the freeway, you're watching TV, and left and right, you're getting blasted with. People either saying something's um, proven by science or showing you studies or articles um, of how you should lose weight or gain muscle or whatever it might be. And obviously, a lot of it is incorrect and just trying to make money. How are some ways that we can look at studies, uh, articles, what have you, um, and maybe make a, a more informed decision as a consumer on, on who we should perhaps believe? Oh, man. So that's a good question. And honestly, I don't know that there's a good answer to it. If the question is specifically like who to believe. Um, Because everyone's a liar. (laughs) Well, no, no, no. Because because like, obviously, my answer is going to be, oh, you should believe me. Uh, But that would be that would be literally everyone's answer. Um, And so one of the one of the issues with like expertise and relying on you know, some third party source for information is something that most people are fairly good at is being able to ascertain who knows more about a particular topic than they do. But it then becomes very challenging to uh, like parse who among people that know more than you knows more than everyone else. Right. Um, Mm. So, so like, you know, it could be, And I think that's one of the reasons people fall for so many scams because, you know, like so-and-so like homeopathic, naturopathic doctor, whatever, uh, just selling complete shit. But like they probably know more about nutrition and health than just, you know, Joe Q public. So they see like this person is like, oh, that person seems to know this stuff much better than I do. 
and they see some credible MD uh, who knows way more than the homeopath. Um, but like they struggle to tell the two apart, you know? Hmm. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a pretty common thing within pretty much any realm where someone doesn't already have some meaningful level of expertise already. Um, so, you know, you, you can kind of tell if someone knows a little bit more than you or a lot more than you, but if two people both know a lot more than you, it's, it's kind of hard to tell them apart. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there, there's really, I, I think that's kind of a depressing answer, but I yeah, think it's the truth. We appreciate I think the it's truth. the most honest answer. Yeah. And then, and then um, there's a whole nother layer within fitness, uh, or even health in general. Uh, I think there's, you know, the white coat bias where every MD, oh, he has to know more nutrition than Greg. Greg's just a power lifter. Like, what does he know about nutrition, you know? And this guy has MD in front of his name or whatever. And then the other one is that, well, this guy's more jacked than Silent Mike. Silent Mike has no muscles. Why would I ever listen to his dumbass about how to build muscle, right? And that's like, I think even more common um, when you see ads on whatever, again, Facebook or et cetera, et cetera, of, of the jacked guy trying to sell you some supplement that'll, you know, help you be healthier or lose weight to the everyday person. Like, well, that guy looks like I want to look like I'll just buy his product. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's a recalcitrant problem that is never going to change. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, it's and, 2020 and, greg why you gotta be so depressive right in the beginning you're I, just shooting dreams I, down. I mean i mean i i wish i had a good answer but like if i had the answer i'd already be out there spreading it um <laughs> or or like if fucking anyone had the answer they'd be out there spreading it uh that seems to very much be an open question we get a lot of, I mean, of articles that are, uh, you know, based on research studies that have come out, and they are often misrepresentations of those of those studies. And then when you look at the studies themselves, you might or might not um, agree with the way that they are set up. Like, how do you evaluate when you, when you go to that level of the of looking at the actual study, like? What gives you confidence in a study, I guess, is, is, is the answer or the question I'm looking to ask. So that, that's a good question. And what I'll say is if you do know how to evaluate research, that makes it a lot easier to um, like kind of pick and choose between like experts whose opinions you want to pay more attention to. So like, if you know how to evaluate research, you can look and see, oh, who's making claims and like pretending to cite evidence to back them up. And, you know, then you look up the studies and you're like, oh, this person seems to be fairly accurately representing the body of literature. I think I can trust them. I've seen them accurately represent the research multiple times. They seem pretty trustworthy versus someone else who's either citing shady stuff or misrepresenting the stuff they do cite or just not citing research at all. So once you get to the point where you yourself have enough expertise to uh, somewhat reliably evaluate research that does help filter out like who you then pay attention to. Um, but then in terms of actually diving into the research itself, first thing, first thing I would say, just straight up, pull up the full text. Uh, like most people who are, who are spouting off about studies in on social media have just read the abstract mm. uh, and sometimes just the title. And I'm going to say something uh, and I'm going to choose my words very carefully as I say it. 
Hey, put them on blast. We don't give a shit. <laughs> no, no, I'll back no, no, you up, no, buddy. No, I, I'm not. You, you'll see where I'm going. Okay. So don't construe this as a recommendation, but I have heard that there's a site called Sci-Hub, um, which you can use. Is that to related get... to Pornhub? It's not. Okay. Um, but I've heard that it's a service that people can use to get full text access to papers that are locked behind paywalls uh, uh, without university gotcha. access. Gotcha. It's it's very illegal. I would <laughs> never recommend anyone use that website, but it is something that exists. Yeah. Uh, and that's all I'll say. So anyway, I rec. Before you, you know, share an opinion about a study or trust someone else's interpretation about a study, I'd recommend pulling up the full text. There are ways to do that. Um, and then in terms of what I would look for to evaluate a study, um, man, there's a lot of stuff. So one of one of the biggest things I'm going to look for first um, is I, I think that people who spend a lot of time in the research read a paper differently from most people. Um, so I, I think most people, if they have ever actually pulled up the full text of a study, they'll read the abstract, they'll read the introduction. That's usually fairly layman's term. That's easy to get through. You start reading the methods and like two paragraphs in it's, you know, it's boring, it's dry, it's full of jargon. It's kind of hard to follow. So you just kind of like maybe skim the method section uh, you get to the results, you try to make it through the results. If they're really thorough with their statistical reporting, there's also a ton of jargon. Might be somewhat challenging to make it through the results section. So you just look at the tables and figures, and then you read the discussion, which will restate the results and the author's interpretation of the results, and is also you know, pretty layman's terms for the most part. So most of the focus is on abstract introduction and discussion. Uh, generally when I pull up a paper, I tend to skip the introduction, um, because I don't want the author's framing to bias my interpretation of what the study found. Um, and obviously I don't skip to the discussion. So I'll start with the methods. Um, so I'll look at the end of the introduction paragraph and see what they were actually trying to investigate in the study. Uh, and then I'll read the methods and see like, are the methods appropriate for investigating what they're trying to investigate? Um, sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. You need some level of expertise just to know if, if the measurements are appropriate or not. So um, for example, if someone was say looking at muscle protein synthesis, you can use um, like stable isotope tracer methods, which are pretty reliable, um, but you'll still occasionally see studies using nitrogen balance, which isn't as good. Uh, and so if you know that and you pull up a study and they're still using nitrogen balance techniques, you can be like, eh, well, you know, maybe be a little bit more skeptical of this because they're not using uh, the best protocols that they could be using. Um, and sometimes like they'll the the given aim of a study will be like, you know, to, to try to figure out something causal and they're just doing cross-sectional research. And it's like, well, you can't really make causal inferences from this. So it may just be a completely inappropriate study design for the question they're trying to answer. Um, but yeah, just reading through the methods and seeing like, okay, can they answer the questions they're trying to ask? And what, 
what sort of information could you get out of a study that is designed the way the study is designed? Um, and I also just look to, to see how thorough a method section is. Um, generally, if a method section is quite thorough um, and the, the authors are pretty explicit about what controls they put in place, that makes me trust the study a little bit more. If it's a little bit shady and there's like key details missing in the method section, that makes me kind of suspect that maybe they're trying to hide something. It could just be a word count thing, but that that does immediately put me on edge a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, th those are some of the things I'd look for in a method section. Just in research generally, depending on the type of study design, there would be other things I might look for. Uh, and then in the results section, I want to see as thorough of statistical reporting as possible. Um, and also, man, so honestly, I think the biggest barrier to entry for people being able to do a good job reading research and interpreting it well is having a, a at least a bang up understanding of statistics. Mm. Um, cause like, oh man, I see this shit all the time. So <laughs> if, if anyone listening to this is a mass subscriber, you know that at least like in one article per month, like one out of three articles per month I write, I start like my discussion of a study with, okay, I'm sorry, but I have to complain about the stats for a little bit. Because <laughs> um, like there are a lot of very bright exercise scientists that understand stats well, and there are a lot of exercise scientists that don't understand stats that well, which like, I don't hold it against them. Like exercise scientists aren't statisticians. Um, but you know, if they don't know what they're doing, they should probably get a biostats person on board to help. Uh, but anyway, there's, there's a lot of shady stats that go on and I don't think it's generally malicious. I think it's often just people not really knowing what they're doing. Um, but yeah, like, so just making sure that the statistical analyses are, are appropriate uh, and are interpreted correctly. So uh, this may not make sense to 90% of the people listening, but something that you'll that you'll often see in exercise science is a, is if they run an ANOVA and they're using like a, a two group pre post study design and they want to see like, you know, did group A have larger strength gains than group B? Uh, they'll do an ANOVA and they'll find a significant main effect for group, but they don't find a significant group by time interaction. Uh, if you're interested in, did one group have a larger change than the other, you're looking for that significant interaction effect. But if they find a significant main effect for group, they'll interpret that as if they found a significant interaction effect when those are two very different things. Um, and, and I don't think that those are researchers trying to pull one over on the reader. I think that's, just people who don't understand what the fucking ANOVA is. Um, <laughs> can, you, so, can you capsulize that for us? Just Yeah, so... Um, it's a regression okay. analysis, right? Yeah, so to, to make this as simple as possible, so just, just to use an example. If you had two groups of people, uh, and let's say you randomize them into groups, but it just so happened that one of the groups was just stronger than the other at baseline. Uh, let's say, you know, you're looking at bench press strength and one group has 
a 110 kilo bench press on average at baseline. And the other group has a 95 kilo bench press on average. And then you put them through different training programs and they both put 10 kilos on their bench on average. Uh, you could very well wind up with a significant uh, group effect there because essentially like a significant main effect for group is looking at, you know, when we pool all time points of measurements in each group, do they seem to be different? And so if in the study group A was stronger than group B, both at baseline and after training, then obviously over the course of the entire study, they would on average be stronger. So that would be a significant main effect for group. Um, however, there wouldn't be a significant group by time interaction because the change was the same. Um, like they both put 10 kilos on their bench press. Uh, and so like a significant group by time interaction is, is essentially just was the change different in the groups. So, you know, if they start with the same strength and one group puts 20 kilos on their bench and the other group puts five, like that would probably be a significant group by time interaction. Um, and if they started with like different strength levels they may there may or may not be a significant main effect for group um so yeah like that's that's that is a scenario that that could play out um what about sample size so sample size is an interesting one um the thing about so one of the first things that people will jump on, um, if especially if they haven't taken a stats class, is if they see a reasonably small sample size, and not even like super small. Like if I see six people per group, um, I'm probably going to disregard that outright. But mm-hmm. you'll see a lot of people be like, oh, only 15 people per group. What can you really take away from this? Um, but most of the research in our field uses what's called inferential statistics, And so what you're essentially trying to do is you're trying to see, based on the samples you have, can you, with some degree of confidence, infer that there would be a mean difference on a population level? And so in inferential statistics, the sample size is taken into account. So if you have, say, 10 people per group and you find a significant difference between groups, that means that that had to be a pretty large difference for you to to make the inference that there's a mean difference on a population level because you are going into it with a small sample. And so you have uh, larger confidence intervals. If you have, say, 100 people per group, you can have a very, very small difference between groups and it still wind up being significant because you're you're drawing inferences from a larger sample mm. of the population. Um so honestly, the the critique I see the most often with small sample research is like, oh, they found a significant differences. They found a significant difference between groups, but we shouldn't put that much confidence in it because it's a small sample. Uh, whereas, like that's kind of baked into the into the statistics, where like it's harder to find a significant difference with small samples. The thing, the thing in one second, I'll, I'll circle back to that in a, in a moment. But the sure. thing that I'm more concerned about there is because it is harder to find a significant difference with small samples, oftentimes, and, and this goes back to kind of shoddy statistical interpretation, it's harder to find a significant difference with small samples. And so with underpowered research, oftentimes what you'll wind up with is like 
you know, maybe you put people through two different protocols and in the real world, there would be a difference in results, but your samples weren't large enough to detect it uh, or the difference between outcomes wasn't large enough to detect. And so the researchers will interpret that as there was no difference in outcomes when maybe there was a difference in outcomes, but you just didn't have enough power to reliably detect it. Uh, and so if you wanted to claim no difference, instead of testing for differences, you'd have to do something called equivalence testing, which no one in our field does. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like like failing to achieve statistical significance is not the same thing as there not being a difference. You just don't have a large enough effect to confidently infer that there is a difference, if that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, so that that's the main thing in our field that I'm personally concerned about when it comes to small sample research. Um, another thing is just like the, the magnitude of the difference is probably going to be off to some degree. So essentially like if you have a population of 5,000 people say, and your, your total sample that you're studying is 1000 people. Um, the, the mean effect that you see in that sample, in that, in that sample that's 20% of the entire population is probably going to roughly approximate the actual like population difference you're dealing with. Um, whereas like, you know, if you're just drawing samples that are 20 people per group from that population, then maybe there is like an actual population difference in whatever you're studying. Um, but like the, the magnitude estimate could be all off. So maybe, you know, you're dealing with two different training programs and realistically one is 30% better than the other. Um, but with small sample research, maybe if you ran the study once, it would say that, oh, this program is only 10% better than the other. If you ran it again, it could say, oh, this program is twice as good as the other. So like the actual magnitude estimate would be off. Um, but so in, in science more generally, one of the things you need to be a little concerned with with uh, with small sample research is that um, so you have the file drawer effect uh, or publication bias, and so essentially it's it's a lot easier to publish kind of big, splashy, exciting, statistically significant findings than null results. Mm. Like when you fail to achieve statistical significance. And so this has been a big issue in psychology and sociology and biomedicine in recent years um, where essentially like they uh, they look at what has been published and then, you know, call up researchers and be like, hey, have you run other studies that haven't been published? And they find out that for a lot of phenomena, there's kind of an epidemic of the significant findings with large effects getting published but for every one of those papers that gets published, there's another paper that had null results that didn't get published. And so like the mean effect within the entire research is skewed positive. Um, and so that's something that becomes much more an issue with small sample research. Because one, with large samples, you're more likely to find uh, statistically significant results. And then two, there's kind of the sunk cost fallacy where like, even if you don't get, uh, big splashy exciting results you fucking invested so much time in running that study you're gonna get it published somewhere yeah. you know um whereas you know especially like in psychology where a lot of the research is 
uh, like survey based, mm. uh, you could run a study in a week. And so you have a relatively small sample. You don't, you don't see what you expect it to find. And it's like, ah, whatever, just file this one away. Uh, maybe submit it to one journal. If they reject it, whatever, it's fine. On to the next one. Um, and so in, in an area of research where studies are easier to do, um, and just generally don't take as much time and effort and resources and manpower. Um, I also become much more skeptical of small sample research because I don't know how biased it is and, and to what degree publication bias is, you know, kind of affecting the, the mean results of the small sample research in that field. Um, whereas especially in exercise science for like training studies, Dude, every training study that has ever been done has probably gotten published, mm. or at least like 95% of them, because that's a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> like, it takes it takes so much time and effort, so much uncompensated time and effort yeah. to do a training study. Like, you know, if the first journal rejects it, you submit it to a second one. If, that, if the second journal rejects it, you submit it to a third like that motherfucker is going to get published somewhere. <laughs> um, and so I don't think that publication bias is quite as big of a deal, especially with like longitudinal training studies uh, in exercise science. Um, and there, there's actually, you know what, actually that's, that's probably not worth getting into. Uh, I feel like I've talked about stats too much already. I was going to talk about P curves. No one wants to hear about P curves, <laughs> but Anyway, is there a do you have a magic number in your head for how long a study should run in order for you to have some confidence in it? Like two weeks um, doesn't seem like very long, but. Well, I mean, so it it depends on what question they're trying to ask. Uh, And it also depends on what inferences you're trying to draw from it. So, you know, if if it's a training study, say, and it runs six weeks long. I'm not going to look at the results of that study and be like, oh, if we take the results of this six week study and extrapolate it over 20 years, you know, yeah. thing A is going to be dramatically better than thing B. Um, but, you know, six weeks is a, is a reasonable mesocycle length. And so you might say like, oh, well, if I'm trying to do a strength based mesocycle over six weeks, like this style of programming seems to be considerably better than this one. So, you know, if I'm, like I may want to incorporate that on like a mesocycle basis. Like you wouldn't necessarily want to build your entire like programming ideology off of it, but you know, it's, it's a six week study. So like, you know, if you're dealing with training on a time scale of maybe like four to 10 weeks, you know, maybe, maybe it's more relevant uh, then. So, uh, and, and also, yeah, like I said, it, it kind of depends on what you're, like on what question you're asking and what you're interested in. So if it's a study on like tapering and peaking, I don't need to see a 12 week taper. Fucking no one does a 12 week taper. Uh, I expect that study to be two or three weeks long, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it just depends on what question they're trying to ask. That makes sense to me. Um, it would also seem like, uh, uh, like, if it's a low risk scenario, it doesn't really matter that much, right? I mean, if you're if you see a, a, a relatively short study uh, that shows a positive effect of a particular thing, and it's low risk to try it, then then just go for it. 
Oh yeah, for sure. And, and so, so one of the things that irks me a little bit, um, is like, I don't know. I, I feel like even, even people with like a scientific background sometimes interpret statistics in a dumb way. Uh, so, so essentially the way that science, like the way that science is set up, like the, the fundamental assumption underlying the statistical paradigm we work in is that it's really, really, really bad if you say that two things are different when they're actually not. But it's kind of okay if you don't conclude that they're different when they actually are. Um, so to, in statistical terms, type 1 error is very, very bad and should be avoided. And type 2 error is eh, not great, but you can live with it. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's not necessarily how you should weight things as a practitioner. Um, so, l like you just said, if you, like, if there's a study, and let's say it's on a supplement, because uh, we've been talking about training studies to this point, let's talk about a supplement study. Uh, if you find that a study or a supplement was compared against a placebo, um, there wasn't a statistically significant difference between the effect seen with the supplement or the effect seen with the placebo. Um, but there was a non-significant difference that leaned in favor of the supplement, potentially showing efficacy. Um, and let's say the supplement is cheap and has a good safety profile and you're training someone who you know, is maybe like plateaued or maybe nearing their genetic potential and is willing to do, you know, pretty much anything within the rules and within the bounds of legality to try to get a small edge, then are you going to look at that and say, mm, wasn't statistically significant. <laughs> I would never even let this person know that this supplement exists. Like, no, maybe it would potentially be worth recommending. Not like a strong recommendation, not as strongly as you might recommend something like creatine that does have a lot of strong evidence supporting it. But you may look at that and be like, oh, well, you know, you're, look, you're looking for a little edge. You might get a little edge from this. Um, doesn't seem to be any meaningful downside, especially if it's cheap. So, you know, maybe give it a shot. Uh, like if you're someone who, especially who's coaching like high performance athletes, type 2 error is just as bad as type 1 error. Um, like you want to do as many of the things that can give you an edge as possible. Um, and as long as there's not great cost associated with those things, like you, you lose, you lose out by not trying them, you know? Um, so yeah, like type one and type two error, the, the degree to which they matter is very context dependent. But if you're just trusting the interpretation of statistics, presented in scientific papers they always weight type one error as being way way worse than type two so if we were to summarize this in a, in a takeaway for folks um try to read the study um try to maybe evaluate the source of the information um look a little at the time frame and make sure that 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 seems reasonable to you um take a look at the study size and see if that seems reasonable to you and see if the like methodology for capturing that information makes sense to you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a, a pretty good place to start. 
Um, well, a lot of it's probably and, learned too. I mean, fifteen-year-old yeah, I mean, fifteen-year-old so, Greg was probably not as good at reading studies as current Greg. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's it's something you have to practice, just like anything else. Um, yeah, I, I mean, so most of the old articles I wrote for my website are private now. But dude, when I go back and look at that and look at some of the stuff I wrote when I was like nineteen. God damn, I was a fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> well, that's I all mean, of us, but yeah. But, and, and like, I was reading the full text and I was doing my best to interpret it, but like, I did poorly because I didn't know anything. <laughs> um, and you, then as I read more and learned more, uh, I think I've gotten better at it over time. Do you think you like latched on to particular things that seemed appealing at the time or seemed just the opposite of appealing and reacted? to those things within studies as opposed to looking at them with a broader view or? Um, no, not really. Uh, I, I don't know. I, so I enjoy reading research, um, which I think is kind of weird, but I'm into it. Takes all, takes all types, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I just, I just took a liking to it. Um, but I mean, there there aren't really that many studies that stand out to me as particularly good or bad. Just especially early on when I didn't know anything, mm. I I had the wherewithal to know that I didn't know anything, and so you know, I I there were people who I knew who were researchers, and I just like pester them all the time, like, hey, I just read this study. I think it's saying this. How dumb am I? Like, am I kind <laughs> of close with this potential interpretation? Um, so yeah, like bouncing ideas off of people who you at least think know better than you is good. And just like Googling stuff is good. Um, like, especially when you're reading through a method section, if you don't know what a, you know, particular analysis done was, uh, just Google it. Like there will be information on it and generally it's going to be pretty reliable. So you know, if you're Googling like uh, gel electrophoresis, you're not going to find like a fucking Mercola article on here's how you do electrophoresis as a homeopath. You know, like it's it's going to be some boring scientific source talking about what electrophoresis is. Um, so, yeah, like you can just Google stuff you don't know that you come across in a study. And generally, the information you get back will be pretty good. How can people get a hold of you or follow um, you? So website is strongerbyscience.com. If you would like to check out the research review that I put out every month along with Eric Helms, Eric Trexler, and Mike Sordos, that's called Mass Monthly Applications and Strength Sport. You can find that at strongerbyscience.com slash mass. Uh, and if you want to follow me on social media, Instagram's probably best. I'm just at Greg Knuckles. That's my personal account. Um, mostly food content, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and if you're interested in like Instagram fitness stuff, the business account is at official stronger by science. And you have a podcast too, right? We do. Yeah. It's uh, the stronger by science podcast. It is at uh, sbspod.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, appreciate you listening. Give us a rating, review, iTunes, everywhere else. It helps a bunch. Share this with your friends. I'm Silent Mike, 2K's Instagram, Twitter. 
I am at DJMD on all the social media. The show is 50% Facts, where percent is a word on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And we'll talk to you next time.